0: Welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. My name is Carter Laren. I am joined by the Bad Mamma Jamma, my co-host Carrie Smith. As always, Carrie, say hi. Hi,
1: guys. Hello.
0: Um, you you can follow us on uh, YouTube. You can go to Unsafe Space channel on YouTube. Uh, Twitter, we're Unsafe Space Co. Uh, because our URL is unsafespace.co, not .com. The M, M stands for Marxism and we have none of that. Uh, so today we are joined by. So sorry, everyone. If we're, we're an hour early. So uh, if you're seeing this rebroadcast and you expected to see it live, tough. Uh, we screwed up our time zone. I,
1: I screwed stuff. up time zones. I. I it's my fault.
0: <laughs> I don't. I, I don't think we should pass blame, Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's probably just. Uh, I think Zach has uh, time zone privilege. We can talk about that later. So um, we are, we are jo- we're joined today by Zach Hing. Um, Zach's an online uh, social and political commentator, digital strategist, and performer. Um, after he released several videos on YouTube that that uh, that went viral, he became one of the, the most prominent and exciting personalities on YouTube due to his ability to articulate his thoughts reasonably while remaining authentic and connecting with people from a variety of different backgrounds. Um, he first wrote to, rose to prominence as a walkaway member. Um, so that's mostly what we're going to talk about today. Um, Zach, welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, thank you, Carter and Carrie, for having me on Unsafe Space.
0: What's the best way for people to follow you and follow your work, and where do you want them? Twitter, YouTube, Facebook?
2: Honestly, just YouTube. Twitter is kind of, uh, you know, I'm just on there because I need to be. And then uh, Facebook, I don't encourage people to do it just because I don't have a Facebook page. I have a Facebook profile, which I should tell people not to go to, but um, YouTube, YouTube is the best place right now. Um, it's where all the content is uh, up to date. And yeah, that's where I'm, I'm the most active. So till they kick you off, man,
0: someday they kick me off. That's
2: right. I would have to yeah.
0: find my own platform. <laughs> so tell us your story. You were actually in, uh, in the Berkeley area during the, um, I guess the twenty seventeen battle of Berkeley, the mm-hmm. Milo uh, stuff, which actually, uh, incidentally, also sparked me to start doing some other stuff as well. But um, what what's your story? What were you up to, and um, and what what happened? I know I know you've talked about it before, so yeah, I'll just give you the floor and let you let you kind of tell us in your own words.
2: Yeah, the the story never gets old. Um, and the thing is, there's there have been multiple instances right politically that led up to that point for me personally after trump got elected uh in early 2017 and in that time period even just before uh right right between he was inaugurated and when milo was staging some talks at Berkeley. This was not just something that was specific to Milo. I think it erupted over Milo because of his, you know, volatility and his reputation as a provocateur, but this was happening to people like Ben Shapiro and Ann Coulter. Folks who were also scheduled to speak at UC Berkeley. uh, I think in early 2017. And, you know, interestingly enough, every time I tell this story, I I start to actually think a little bit about the steps on how I got to this point. Um, I started just like, you know, looking things up a little bit more. And the thing, the interesting thing is, this didn't start with like Milo necessarily, or even the inauguration of Trump, but because I had values that I I held close to my heart, you know, things surrounding being more pro life, and um, especially defending free speech. I think that that's, that's the superficial kicker for me is when free speech gets threatened especially when there is violence surrounding it. Uh, That's the last straw for me. So uh, I had my conservative values, right? I I obviously was more left-leaning and all that simply because, uh, you know, living in the Bay Area and fostering a lot of progressive beliefs are essentially all that's around you. And I wasn't very outspoken about it, so I I nodded my head and went along with it. With Milo uh, in February, what had happened was... um, Antifa and a lot of other folks, it was probably also, you, you know, university students started to protest in a little bit more of a violent manner than prior protests. You know, it's one thing to have Black Lives Matter protests in the streets, which I'm kind of like, all right, whatever, you do your thing. You know, you're, you have that First Amendment right. But it's another thing when people are setting things on fire and, you know, and- it's, What's that? Was, this,
1: was this February, you said February, was this 2017, right?
2: Yeah, 2017. So this was a year, a little over a year before walkaway. And the thing is, when free speech started to get threatened to that level, um, I spoke to my some of my friends about it because, you know, this was in Berkeley. Berkeley was two miles down the road from where we live. And I'm like, you know what's going on at UC Berkeley right now? Like, people are protesting like crazy. And weirdly enough, people like Miley Yiannopoulos and Ben Shapiro were folks that I was kind of paying attention to. I still thought Milo was a little bit too provocative for me. Mm-hmm. Not because sure. of what he had to say, but because of what everybody else was saying about him. So that's the interesting thing. So after that, I was like, okay, who's this Milo guy? And who's this? who are these folks mm-hmm. that these people are trying to suppress so thoroughly? And when I, I think it, there were a few videos. There was Milo's rather comedic approach to anti-feminism. You know, Ben's talking points surrounding abortion and just generally a lot of these pundits in their conservation of free speech. And as I listened to it, I've always believed in free speech. Even as as a liberal, I was always just like, you know, no, we need free speech. Like people need to have to have discussions. It's something that I still carry with me to this day. So I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I was intolerant one day and then tolerant the next day. I've always wanted that. I just was a little bit more. Uh, progressively oriented, but anyways, back to Milo. Um, I don't make. I know it's a long story, but yeah. this is good because I, I, I get oddly specific with it now that you know people <laughs> ask. Um, yeah, I, I found out about them, and it just opened up. It was just the a big rabbit hole I started going down, and a lot of it made a lot of sense because it, they did they reaffirmed beliefs that I've had, and I was also in a place where. Even as a liberal, I never agreed with feminism. I never agreed with that. So sometimes your your entryway into these ideas start from a place where it's uh, uniform, right? Even, even as a leftist, uh, more progressive-oriented, I, I wasn't for feminism. I saw a lot of hypocrisy in it. I also just didn't like that people just whined about everything. So already, in a weird way, it, it spoke to already existing, I would say, bias that I had. But sometimes that's a good thing because that's how people find their ways in. I'm I'm, as I learn about how people find things out, it it appeals to you in a a point in your life where that is prominent. You know, like annoying feminazi's in the Bay Area are never ending, and I was sick of them. Even as a leftist, I was already sick of that. So when Milo talked about that, I was like, "Oh, this is funny." I'm just going to keep these videos, and then you know, more and more, I was like, I was introduced to other people, you know, and their ideas were more in line with the ideas that I've had and the ideas that I've always really w- what I was raised on. but then, you know I was scared. all of 2017, I kept my beliefs to
0: myself. I really did. I was kind of like, so I, I, I want to talk about that for a minute because I don't think people get that, Zach. like I, I think so a lot of people I'm older than you by <clears throat> years. Uh, <laughs> and um, you know I when we went to college, mm-hmm. um, I'm sorry, Carrie, I'm looping you in with old people. Uh, when we went to college, um yeah, there was political disagreement, but uh, I don't think i did I don't think I felt so much pressure to um shut up if I disagreed with the the mainstream narrative. like, yeah, there were people that were on the other side of me politically and maybe they didn't like me, mm-hmm. but the average person in college was like, "I and I wrote for the school newspaper," said like, "Oh, you're that guy." Okay, fine, whatever. Like, there was no, "You're a, you're a Nazi," or "You're an evil person" because you wrote an article we don't like, or you're not in lockstep right. with our beliefs. But that I, my understanding is that's not the case anymore. And you're, you know, you're fresh out of school. Can you tell us what the social pressure is like?
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think that I think that timing and circumstance has a lot to do with that. I say that because had I come out and talked about conservatism in 2015, it's very, very different. There was something that happened after Trump got elected that all of a sudden made it a crime to mm-hmm. defend uh, free speech, to even talk about how great America would be. So that's the thing, is that Trump is an excuse. It's He's an excuse for a lot of things that you can't talk about because Because of the fact that he was elected, not on his own merit, but due to the fact that the the rhetoric now is he was elected due to racism and prejudice in this country is completely misinformed, right? So um, you're automatically tied to right-wing ideology because Trump supports that. Now, I've said many times that I don't always agree with everything our president says. But that being said, we can read between the lines a little bit more. So to take it back to college, there's the whole post trump america and being a conservative right because you get grouped in and uh it would have been very different if say obama was still president and i had been at, at the time say in 2015 say in my second or third year of college been more of like a college republican or more of, of a conservative that being said i, I don't think it would the, I, I the reactions would have been as polarizing but when i think about the close friendships that i had i mean this is Oakland, this is San Francisco. This is yeah. anything. The the whole demonizing white people and the misconstrued aspect of the Civil Rights Act and slavery as a whole, uh, like all of that, were all such. Familiar, heavily ingrained talking points that I think that even saying it wouldn't have prompted a lot of insightful discussion. I don't think I would have been hated, but I don't think it would have been encouraged. Like I I think because right now a lot of young leftists they just check out. You know, there's no Mm -hmm. discussion. I find that even older liberals, right, um, people that are 10 years my senior, that are actually they're, they're progressives and I don't agree with a lot of what they say. At least we can talk. But younger folks now check out very, very quickly out of the the discussion, and if you mention anything, any anything that goes against the rhetoric of uh, r- racism as we interpret it in this country today, that that is uh, that's not something that, they, that they're even willing to talk about. It's almost a no fly mm-hmm. zone. Like, you're, why is that? You're responsible for slavery. We're not talking about it, huh? Why is that? Why do you I think that think- is? I think that it has a lot to do with a few things. I think when it comes to access to information, it's number one in in our culture. It's very, very heavily uh, pushed upon us. You know, when movies and and pop culture already start to follow that narrative, right? Then all of a sudden, I think the collectivist mindset for a lot of young people is to
0: conform. People just want to fit in. And I, I, I tie yeah, that but college traditionally was always that this was the time when you like questioned authority and, and whatever. And yeah, like, well, you and know and what, we've got college kids that are like, yay, authority, except for Trump. But. Right,
2: right. But, but I mean, we're safe spaces are a real mandated thing when you were going to college. I mean, that's, that's a no, thing here. So of that, that's what I'm saying <laughs> is that something shifted where I, 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 I usually credit a couple things and these are theories and people can disagree with me on this. I think that there's a parenting issue. I spoke about this briefly um with just uh, a lot of younger millennial folks and then i think that there's just this economic pressure that's also tied into the institution that you basically swore your life away to so when i say things that 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 hit you on certain pain points this is what progressives preach right student loan uh, yeah. consolidation and all for loan debt forgiveness it's like who's paying for all this so when you hear things like that and you hear that you are disadvantaged economically because of your race um It's already going to hit on certain pain points in your life that you're going through. And so all of a sudden, you're just going to nod your head and go, yeah, great, great, socialism. You know, that's why people in Berkeley love communism. There's a coffee shop that I live next to on Fruitvale that didn't serve cops. and had like Che Guevara posters openly on
0: on the shop. Because murdering gay people is fun and cool. But but that's the thing. that not what we're supposed to like about Che my I know state. that's
2: the thing. It's, it's it's selective ignorance, right? You you kind of go off of what you like, and I think that take something very very particular, like um, white privilege or whatever. It's it's when people want to look at it from an isolated standpoint. I can see that prejudice will still exist between individuals. I don't think we're post racial as a society. I won't be the. I, I really don't think we are. But that being said, mm-hmm. it's not a reason. It's not a reason for why people are held back. And it's it's also not a singular reason for why people act the way they do. People have been taught to behave a certain way, to not think for themselves. And to, to go back to why do you think college, when you ask me, why do I think colleges are like this now? I think that number one, it's a parenting thing. And I think number two, it's an economics thing. So-
0: yeah. Um, I mean, in fairness to the, in fairness to your generation, you were kind of screwed over by previous generations, uh, quite a lot. I mean, if we look at, um, I mean, we could probably do a whole show on how baby boomers suck, but, um, you know, if you look at what they did to the country, they, they basically, um, they basically racked up bills that you're going to have to pay for and are paying for in taxes in the future. um. Mm-hmm that and so they said they could enjoy social security and a whole bunch of other benefits that they never actually paid enough into to to warrant um and then they spent the money that they were supposedly putting aside so they've they've kind of wreaked havoc on on the economy but they've also sold you i think this bill of lies with respect to college um which is uh hey you know pay it's worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for four or five years of your life Mm -hmm. um to go to college because you'll get a good job. And uh, that's just not true um, anymore. And if you look at the state of the education system, you know, aside from college, it's 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 gone downhill uh, precipitously. But college in particular, you've got these kids graduating with, you know, you may or may not have student loans, but a lot of kids have huge student loans and they're not even worth uh, minimum wage at Starbucks because they haven't learned anything. Um, and that's not fair to them either so they're kind of they're in this situation where that college debt seems quite burdensome because they're not it's not like they're getting out and getting jobs that are lucrative and and they know they're gonna pay it off they the economy's tough they're getting out and it's a um, it's a, it's a hard it's a, a hard uh, a hard thing to pay off those student loans and so when Bernie comes along and says free college I guess that kind of makes sense and they're not really teaching economics or any any uh, well, you tell me, are they teaching any kind of enlightenment values or or anything that would help you understand the the pitfalls of communism or socialism or collectivism or the the importance of individualism historically or or do they just gloss over all that and have Che Guevara posters <laughs> I think
2: you 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 mention a lot of things, and I think that it it's not specific to any one thing that you're taught in school. Uh, like I said, it's selective ignorance. so you can you can talk about how bad socialism is right up to a point when i say selective ignorance i mean um when it gets to anything that is race related that's where it falls short now i'll I'll give an example of this one thing that you're taught in united states history it's not something i was taught in college but what a typical rundown would be is the burden of proof of who's responsible for something like slavery. And this is something that's rather controversial, but it's, I'm not the first person to look at this differently. You know, when we talk about um, like the, the issues surrounding this, right? Not just from an economic standpoint, but also like a real American standpoint, you'll find that race, may have had a contingency with that, but it has very little to do with just the outplay of history. You know, one thing that I had to investigate on my own that I learned recently was the, the popular argument is, okay, America is a racist society, right? It's easy to hear that and go, yeah, we've, we've oppressed
0: black people. I mean, when I say we, I'm talking about white people, no offense, but, um, and you're talking about actually about 4% of the population who own slaves. but Right, so- right,
2: right. So there's that, right? And that, that's a data point. That's not something that prejudice or bias is going to refute. That's a data point, 4% of the population. And that, that's what they. What I'm trying to illustrate here is that the empirical nature of facts and data in history is construed. Like I said, it's selective ignorance. They teach you everything up to a point, but just enough so you harbor some prejudice. But then you know, you forget other things. When people say the founding fathers were racist, they were slave owners, you couldn't legally release your slaves even if you wanted to. You know why? Because King George III still had limits on what you could do. The original draft of the Declaration of Independence included criticisms of King George and the fact that he allowed for the African slave trade to continue on as long as it did. So it's not right. that they, they, they wanted slavery. They're f- actively fighting the end. It. We think of history as Abraham Lincoln came and, and with the Emancipation Proclamation started the movement that would abolish slavery. When in reality, Jefferson was working towards that. Madison was working towards that. The Northwest Ordinance which outlawed slavery in a lot of the Northern territories, not even States. They weren't States at the time that happened 60 years before Lincoln. So when we go, well, go ahead. Go ahead. It's like, how can we talk about America being such a racist society and all white people being responsible for this, when people were actively in concentrated efforts trying to abolish it. And a lot of the reasons for why the South maintained slavery as it did was because of agricultural outputs. There's an economic advantage. There was no tobacco plantations in the North because the the climate doesn't accommodate for plantation farming. So sugar plantations, tobacco. So when you start to look at things for how they really are, calling a spade a spade, I mean, here's the thing also that, that you say this in a classroom they, they'll hate you for it, but it's like to to go after your own slave, to kill them or to lynch them, would be a bigger economic burden on you than even setting them free. That that's that's like one of those crazy things that you say that in a classroom because it doesn't fit the whole white people oppress slaves forever rhetoric. And and, and that that's yeah. what I'm saying. When you battle it on with exactly what happened in facts. You know, legislation that was proposed years before Lincoln. Um, all of a sudden, it, it it shakes things up a little bit. It's like, well, now it's not all white people, and now, okay, so what was the original goal of of what we would call certain unalienable rights and all men are created equals? It, it starts to shake things up, and that's the point. There's not, you know, not what any one person is to blame when cultures have been doing this to each other for centuries. But it it does it does make people go, okay, now I cannot be selectively ignorant of one
0: thing. The standard has so to- this is interesting so y- you're bringing up a couple of things i just want to pause because you're, you're like there's two really big i think there's two really big uh underlying issues that you're bringing up here one is this this idea of judging people historically based on modern standards mm-hmm. um and the other one is is judging people as collectives but let, let's let's talk about this this historical judgment thing because um we hear this a <laughs> lot, but we, you don't hear it for – it's selectively applied, who right. you judge historically, right, um, and, and how you judge them historically. No one is arguing that um, a lot of the people who built Western civilization had very vile beliefs and did horrible things, mm-hmm. um, but you have to couch that with most people through most history had vile beliefs and did horrible things. As you alluded to, slavery was normal. Um, mm-hmm. Blacks in Africa caught other blacks and sold them to passersby. The Muslim slave trade was much bigger than right. uh, than the Christian Western slave trade. Um, mm-hmm. But you, no one talks about that. Mm-hmm. Slavery was horrible, but um, it's used only as a weapon against... Anyone who seems to be a figure in, uh, I would say, Western civilization or um, American culture historically, right? They don't use it against anyone else, right? Right. No one talks about how horrible Muhammad was, um, (laughs) right? Yeah. Any critique of Islam is deemed Islamophobic, but yeah. Right, right. But, um, you know, certainly, I guess a nine-year-old bride doesn't sound particularly consensual to me. Um, you could you could go after Muhammad on a plenty of moral counts, but they don't. So they're they're viewing this. They're they're applying these standards, but to me that just seems like it's intentionally dishonest. Do you think the is is it that is it that they don't know that this doesn't make any sense, or is it like an intentionally dishonest thing? It's hard for me to imagine someone applying mm-hmm. those standards and and not seeing how ridiculous that is. I mean, I. I I don't yeah. know. You I think, tell me. I, I agree. I
2: think that it's a, a number of different things. Like, look at just a, a most recent case with Jesse Smollett, right? Which I don't cover because everyone's covering it. When you yeah. have to now fabricate oppression to, to highlight a point, I'm not saying he's trying to get attention or anything, but when you have to fabricate your own oppression, actually construe a hoax to basically deliver a point, which is MAGA supporters are racist, right? Mm-hmm. That, I think, says something about where people are mentally as far as how far they're willing to go to utilize prejudice and milk it for every drop that they can. So I think that the people who know these things know it. I I think that the, the people that the progressives, people who are in power, who know how to use race debate people know these things. I think that they know it better than we knew. It's how the same people who run big socialist, big government regimes, even Hitler and Mao, they took that same similar standpoint um, where you take people's prejudice, you take the have-nots of people, and you use that against them. You do. You say, hey, the reason why you're not doing well right now is because of insert person here, victim here, right? Collectivist thinking, right? It's easier to blanket people as a whole and deem them responsible for a certain thing that has happened to another group of people than it is to evaluate each individual on the art. Now, if you wanted to evaluate each individual, that's obviously not realistic, but we have laws that create it, to make it as egalitarian as possible. Now, equal outcome is impossible because everybody knows that opportunities, genetics and all that are distributed unequally. But what we can see consistently throughout history is that when people have been evaluated on a more collectivist type thinking, I mean, look at what look at what has happened, right? When one man is able to convince, you know, a whole country from within that a certain middleman minority are deemed inferior because they may be superior in certain things, um, it's it's the same weapon that that people use. So to answer your question, I think that I think that people know these things, but I think that out of just, it could be selfishness. It could be, like I said, selective ignorance. They
0: don't really care. You know, how can you, like I, I I use. Is it psychological? Is it back to your parenting issue where they parented, they have trauma or something and they're latching onto something emotionally or what?
2: I think so. I think it's a parenting thing. Partly. I, I think it's just a lack of accountability. Right. And I think that, you know, people obviously don't, don't give like boomers credit and everything, but like, you know, you, you were, you were serving in world wars, um, and you know, you came back and you provided for your family. And I think that there's a
0: degree of, uh, yeah. what, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a, there's a bit of grit. Well, there's some dignity in that and there's yeah. some pride in that. I mean, there's certainly some good things about boomers. And I would say one of those things is they, they, uh, they certainly were stronger, um, people in terms of their, uh, moral and emotional, uh, mm-hmm. strength. All right. And they, you know, hand yeah. you a rifle and, and, and uh, you know, send you to Germany, that's not something that's uh, that's easy to do. Um, and even if you just look at how people treated each other um, in society, they were much less uh, emotionally indulgent. Um, but...
2: Uh, I, I think that's yeah, it, a delicate balance, and I'll be honest with you, Carter, I don't have an answer. I don't have a pinpoint on what I think is the leading cause for maybe psychological dishonesty. But, you know, like, when people go about fabricating things just to get their point across and satisfy their own means. I think that in itself is enough evidence to say that people are willing to be intellectually and morally dishonest. Um,
0: it yeah. seems like it hits a critical mass though in a group or in a situation like at a university or something or in a college where um, if enough people kind of uh, buy into that uh, collective uh, emotional delusion, or or that kind of epistemology, where what what they f- feel is is more important than what they think. Um, once there's that critical mass, it's it then it gets very very difficult to oppose it then, and you get more people caught up in that, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least, or or you're quietly. I mean, you were quiet about stuff. How many people do you think in the Bay Area were are are silent about their disapproval or disagreement of these things, but terrified to speak up?
2: Well, many many and uh the the nice thing about the channel is that all these uh so-called closeted conservatives even closeted centrists like you know some people who aren't even right wing and i i know carrie's mentioned this in the past carrie i don't know if you're still more liberal more of a you know centrist i, I mean again labels are so interchangeable that forgive me if i'm, I'm misconstruing and, and i personally don't like labeling no that.
1: i actually yeah i do consider myself to be liberal and um uh, I was going to say, Zach and I actually met. The first time we met was at this walk away, um march that was organized by Brandon Strack. Is that how you say his last name? Yeah. And uh, we were there doing an interview with uh, Gavin McGinnis. And what I liked about the panel, because they had like seven of us on the panel, mm-hmm. and it was so ideologically diverse. So you have this group of people who are walking away, but not all of them are, you know, like Brandon became Republican, but I didn't rep- Become a Republican, you know, like there was, the, there were different viewpoints represented. Who were just leaving? The way I look at it is, some some people left the left entirely, and maybe that is you, Zach. Some mm-hmm. people left a certain portion of the left, like the SJW left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we all left. We all left the SJW left. over <laughs> to that way. We all left that part, and then some of us left entirely. But yeah and, and um, I think I can empathize
2: and understand when people still hold on to beliefs that may not always be what I would see oh as proven in facts like if you if you feel because it's one thing to to feel a certain way and I even though I'm a facts over feelings type guy I can empathize. You know, it's like if you if you're really coming from a place of a, of a disadvantage, I can understand the need for social programs that may help you get you back on your feet. I, I will not be the first to say, no, well, let's do away with that, because entitlement pro- programs are the reason why people you know, don't don't do anything with their lives. I, I won't say that in an absolute term, but there's a difference between doing that and then being dishonest and hypocrisy and eliminating the discussion completely, I think I can collectively say, for most of us from walk away, are the things that we all had in common, rather than the beliefs itself. It's more of yeah. the fact that people check out on college campuses, they say, No, shut up by I don't want to talk like that is
0: what we don't like.
1: So, so is ahead. it a lack of? Well,
0: is I, it a lack? I, sorry, go ahead, Carrie. Go ahead.
1: Um, I was just gonna say, so one of the things I liked about your walk away video was that you talked about how when the walkaway movement happened, you realized that you weren't the only one Mm -hmm. that you had this, you were so grateful for it for, you know um, and that, that I think is why you see, such an outpouring of support is because you have all these people out there who are figuring this out on their own and are figuring out, Hey, there's something wrong with this belief system. It claims to be anti-racism or anti-sexism, but it's actually the opposite. Um, But people were like quietly thinking maybe they're the only one who has these thoughts. I know I thought that at first Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Can you talk just a little bit about that, about like what that was like to find that community? And do you think, I'm sure you've seen this as well, but do you, do you think that the bubble on the left is gonna be surprised that walk away is real in 2020? Because they, they don't they they say it's all Russian bots. <laughs> they don't believe that you exist.
0: You look very Russian. <laughs> I'm I should never do accents. Shoot me, Carrie. <laughs> um I think that I think
2: how it felt was fantastic. I mean, it gave me the courage to enter into a sphere. Now the thing is it's not like it was Uh, real in the sense that I knew somebody tangible next to me who felt the same way, but I knew that there were enough people that were at a similar place of being disillusioned that that in itself was enough to make me uh, decide to express my views. And that's the crazy thing about walk away is that unlike other political movements, right? What's the one thing that it has that a lot of movements seemingly, uh, latch on is, is is the fact that you don't have to. I mean, you could be a leftist, you could be a feminist, you could be an independent or a centrist. The fact that it's not mentioned is the point. It's your own way of thinking you're walking away from something that you did not agree with. And the best part about it is that that is okay, there is no punishment. For doing so that i think is why walkaway spoke in volumes to people both young and old whatever
0: race you were i mean just so walking it, away from ideological thinking it sounds like what you're saying i
2: think it's walking away from it, it's more about embracing your own beliefs right and i think that mm-hmm. that can only happen because i think if there's one thing that one i wouldn't say it's a shared belief but a shared value that everybody had was let's talk about it that's that's it. First Amendment right. You know, the, the thing, the First Amendment in the Constitution, which was as long as we can talk about it, I don't have to agree with you. And that's okay. We can coexist in this big ideological melting pot we call America. But the problem I think most people have in, in 2017, 2018, were, was the fact that you weren't even allowed to do that. You were shut down. You were silent yeah. before you could do it. And that's why, I, I mean- yeah
0: do you think Antifa's is cre- I mean, I don't, I don't want to interrupt, but you're, you're, uh, I think Antifa's to credit for this. Like it, they, it's, it's the people who turned violent that I think turned a lot of people like you on. I know a lot of people who had the freedom of speech as their, that was their last straw. Right. And it was like, and they had said this for decades, as long as we have the freedom of speech, at least we can, we can work stuff out and like it's still a free country and we'll be able to solve our problems. But when people started pepper spraying people and hitting them with bike locks and burning stuff and shutting people down from having discussions. uh, I think a lot of people woke up and went, wait a minute that where we've crossed the last straw, we need to be able to talk. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's how Carrie and I got together at first. It was just like, can we just talk? Like, do we both agree that talking about stuff is, is okay? Um, Do you credit Antifa with kind of starting this walkway? Because I think I, I might. I, I don't think know. Antifa paints a more
2: um, obvious... I would say it's a tangible image that you can latch onto as being, well, let's not be like that. Let, I don't want that. But I think Antifa is just an extended arm of a, a political system mm-hmm. that basically is out to... Shut you down before you're given the opportunity to do so, and that's the thing. They're not shutting you down with healthy debate. They're shutting you down with with literally removing your right to even speak. When you when you when right. it's violent, like I mean, I, I am not for the ideology that was pushed forth by a lot of these right wingers in Charlottesville, but they mm-hmm. didn't even have the chance to speak. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with with crazy, crazy. Um, you know, identitarian beliefs of that nature, but it, it's like, go and talk about it. You want to get together with some of your buddies in a park and talk about it. And it may not be very popular in American opinion. Fine. As a matter of fact, I'd encourage you to do that as, as opposed to resort to, um, you know, shooting up schools or anything you want to go do that, go do that. And that's the, the, the problem is Antifa uh, gives us a very obvious, um, it's it's like a weaponized attack against free speech, but it's just a byproduct of the inability to foster discussion. Like a kid yeah. throwing a tantrum, right? If he can't talk it out with you, he's going to throw things around and act very imbecilic. And I think that that's what Antifa does. It's like a it's like a child that's... Ne- I said this on Gavin's show. It's like a child that's never been spanked.
0: Talk yeah. about it. Why don't you be an adult? Well, I'm opposed to corporal punishment for children, so we won't get into that. But... <laughs> Anywho, um, Yeah. Metaphorically, Uh, Yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, when you talk about kids, this is, you're making me think about, um, just examples that you have to set for children. And one example I think is that if you are, um, if you are honest and moral and just in your beliefs and you're not hiding them, or you don't have an ulterior motive, or you're not just a power luster who's using beliefs, uh, to, to manipulate people dishonestly, if you're honest and just, you are not afraid to hear, or for other for other people to hear, arguments against your viewpoint. You welcome you welcome those arguments, even if they're horrible, even if it's the crazy people saying stuff that you completely disagree with, because you're confident that uh, your your arguments prevail, right? If you're if you're actually intellectually honest, you have a sense of confidence that either your arguments will prevail or they're right and they'll convince you, but it doesn't matter. Bad ideas need to be exposed and talked about and you're not afraid of them. And what we're seeing from the left is, uh, it seems like a fear, a deep-seated fear of any ideas, some of which are horrible, but even ideas that aren't, but anything that goes against what their their ideology, it's a deep-seated fear. And and I, like you said, it seems to have been triggered when they lost political power when Trump got elected and um, and they were suddenly out of power. It seems to trigger this massive emotional response that seems like it's just fear. Is that how you would characterize it, or am I way off base?
2: I think that there there's some validity to that. I uh, I would I wouldn't say it's necessarily fear. I think it's more like butthurt. Really, because it's just like <laughs> every—you know what I mean, right? Every major news outlet, every major uh, platform of influence was calling Hillary, 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 and I think that when Trump the shame, won, like faith saving, or is that what you're saying? Like, I would say to a degree, you know why, and in this is there's there's evidence of this just in the way individuals under that leftist network behave because here's the thing if you really were coming into it with facts right and you wanted to have a discussion therefore you also have to cast aside some of your already existing bias and prejudice and as a result humility is also a thing i'm okay to being schooled by a liberal about something i don't understand but here's the thing when you go into it with i'm not going to talk about it because i must be right Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you don't accept the terms of debate you don't accept the terms of civil discourse and behaving like this isn't discussion. Um, what, I'm, what I'm also trying to illustrate is we see that behavior with the refusal to acknowledge any good things that are coming out of the Trump administration. Like I said, I don't always agree with whatever, whatever he says. And I may not always agree with everything he pushes past his desk and everything that he signs. But sometimes people need to be able to say, okay, let's have a discussion about it. And even if I'm wrong... I can still maintain my dignity. You know, That that's the thing. It, it, it's all perspective, right? But people don't like that. People don't like, I don't blame you. People don't like being wrong. You know, in debates, especially anything politically oriented, that's the one place to lose a debate, right? We can debate about pop culture, but it's okay if you lose in that because for some weird reason, it's not like your values are being challenged. With politics, I think it spurs something else in people.
0: Well... I think it's the difference between ideology and critical thinking, because a critical thinker is wed to the idea of rooting out the truth. Mm-hmm. And that means in themselves, in their own uh, thoughts, and in others. And so um, if I debate you, I'll put myself in the critical thinker category. If I debate you, uh, and you make a good argument and and school me on something, um, I feel like that's a win for me. Like, oh, good. Right. I learned something. Um, But if I'm wed to my, and and my ego doesn't take a hit because I'm not wed to my ideology. I'm wed to the process of rooting out the truth. Um, But if your ego is tied to the ideology, um, it can be very painful to, uh, to hear, to hear counter arguments and facts that go against what you're saying or whatever. And I think that, I think that you hit the nail on the head. I
2: think that there's too much, uh, uh, you could say emotional, emotional tying to it which you know creates this it's the same driving force that makes people pathological liars and makes people over dependent on emotion to justify any kind of any kind of point um so sometimes for a lot of these people refusal to take part in discussion and retaliation with violence may be a means to just not to to not to have anything to do with it so you know, it's, it's, it's divisive. And, um, unfortunately it, I, I think that, I think, I, I still think that a diplomatic way of going about talking to people is a way to do it, but I just don't think that, you know, shoving talking points down their throats, the way to do it. I think, you know, if I, I, I have this idea, it's like, if I ever went to a Planned Parenthood and they were standing out about why Planned Parenthood should stay, being pro-choice, I'd probably go out there and like bring them some water or something. like you guys have been standing out here for a long time. Why why is it that you believe what you believe? You see, I think and I've done that with people and I've noticed that I mean, that's all people want. Like I st- I still care about people regardless of what they believe in, but like I don't know, give value to them first, you know? If you can demonstrate that you're not just after after them to to win an argument of egos and headbutting and come at it from a perspective of a sensible person i mean some people are pretty far gone but i would like to think that there's still sensible people out there but they just kind of sleepwalk through their values because that's all they know they haven't some people haven't don't critical think they just don't you know i think for people like us who do it's
0: like i get it but some people flat out do not critical think they don't yeah you've mentioned facts a couple times and i just want i just want to throw this out there because i think um both sides talk about facts because you can always cherry pick facts um, yeah. and find some data to support your side. I think one thing that I I don't see being I don't know if it's not being taught or or just people aren't aren't doing it, but um, there's this lack of understanding that facts have context and that they need to be integrated into a non contradictory system of of beliefs. <laughs> right, so y- you can't just be like I'm going to cherry pick this fact even though it is like totally flies in the face of this other thing I believe in this other area or doesn't jive with these other facts or like, there's no, um, you know, and not without system integration, you end up with a lot of internal contradictions and there seems to be no, um, at least from the social justice perspective, and I've never been in the SJW camp, you and Carrie both have, have been, uh, mm-hmm. closer there, but it, there seems to be, um, disregard for internal consistency with respect to, um, Belief systems. I think. I think that that's a case. I think that. Um,
2: I think that you're right about facts being cherry picked because um, when, when, there, when there's already, in a weird way, of uh, some kind of an agenda, it, it's hard to ignore that, right? It's hard to do that. I think that with the case of dealing with SJWs, it, it's. It's. A, there's a lot of claims, right? There's a lot of big claims without any real regard to any kind of potential objections to that right because when when met with opposition the the reaction is not really to talk about it it's more to just respond with the same thing but louder what i'm trying to say is i think that going forward what i could take away from even dealing with sjw's or even just living in my own echo chamber sometimes which i don't think is always a good thing you know that's why i like you know it's good to freshen it up with people who don't feel the same way i do um, by saying how I think I think having a solution as to how something could work or not work is a way to, ins- to uh, I think, um, incentivize people to kind of go, I see where you're coming from. Because by saying, I'm right about this, these are the facts. I think that what a lot of debates lack, and I think a lot of what of these conversations with people of opposing viewpoints lack is, okay, so now where do you and I meet? Can we bridge the gap somewhere? So what, what's the solution here then? I think we should do this. Okay, great. No, I don't see that, and and I I really think that that, that that's it because it's one thing to shout facts all day, even to SJWs, right? Where there's no, there's no like, what's the point? Okay, so I'm wrong. Where do we go from here? We don't bridge right. the gap enough, and um,
0: uh, I don't know. Those yeah, are- I would I, I I would argue that um, I think there's actually too much argument about policy and not enough discussion about the underlying. Uh, ideologies and philosophies because policies, I mean, honestly, policy is kind of boring. Like if we agree that it's illegal to steal people's land for the, like, let's just say we agree philosophically that the government shouldn't take people's land. Okay. That might affect a bunch of policies we're talking about. And, and that belief would, would drive our, um, our opinions about mm-hmm. different proposals. But having the discussion about those proposals and what's best without having the underlying discussion about the belief system. And, you know, when I see social justice, social justice isn't a political ideology fundamentally it's a philosophical ideology that's based on collectivism, which you've, um, you've said, and I, it seems like the discussion really needs to be about collectivism. Like, um, are you an individual first or are you a member of a bunch of categories? And can you get treated as just a group or do you need to be treated as an individual like what is social justice and i i it seems to me like that's not a conversation that college campuses are having they're taking the ideology as um or that the philosoph- they're taking the philosophy as uh as given and then they're kind of wanting to argue about policy which is like um i don't know you're arguing about what color to paint the house but you haven't picked a site to build it on yet
2: yeah i think that um i think that that's a good point. With with when we talk about uh, just Americans as a whole, because in a strange way, one can make the argument that when you are making any kind of policy, there's a degree of collectivism behind it, right? I think that the the yeah, difference. You here, could make that argument. Right, you can make the argument that our politicians, regardless of whether they're conservative or otherwise, make decisions based on collective well-being of of, of everyone so i think the issue here is to be able to go between the lines a little bit and weirdly enough not necessarily create laws that or even ways of thinking where one group benefits more at the expense of another right And, and the thing is Unfortunately, that's that's an impossible system, because when we look at how people are and people's advantages and disadvantages are all unevenly distributed with very little regard to do with race, national origin, gender, whatever it may be. In a weird way it's like the collectivist laws don't really work right i think as long as we can agree that we don't want to infringe on anybody's individual rights this is where the more of the libertarian philosophy comes in where it's like as long as you are not taking my stuff and you are not in some way violating my individualism or my property rights then you're free to do what you want i can see that working but you know what i mean i think determining overall group thing for just however whatever group of people you claim membership to, and that can go on and on and on. Um, yeah, is, is not always the best approach. And I, I, see, where, I see where you're coming from with that. Um, something that I'd have to think about a little bit more. It hasn't really crossed my mind too
0: much. Yeah, I mean, if you look at how... Um, I mean, what, what makes America unique or what did make America unique at its foundation, it, it was a product of the Enlightenment. And the thing that was different about the Enlightenment was this shift in philosophically from the idea that uh, kings or leaders would manage what was, quote, best for the kingdom or the groups collectively. And uh, the idea was shifted to, actually, there is no such thing as group collective good. And really, the role of the government should just be to protect individuals and let the chips fall where they may, protect them from each other's, violating each other's rights. Um, right. Now uh strict strict libertarians and anarcho capitalists will have issues with with some implementations of that in and of itself as as not as uh as self-contradictory but mm-hmm. but that that was kind of the seed of the, of the of America and um and it's interesting it was interesting to me that when you just said like oh that that's what our politicians do they make decisions based on the collective good of people and but that's not what they used to do in, in America it is everywhere else in the world basically but that's not, this country was not founded on that idea, really. The you're thing right. that made it different was yes. they're not supposed to do that.
2: And, and you're right. I think that the, the founders never intended for the government to get as big as it is today. You know, it, that's just true. I, I believe personally, not that this is something that needs to be exercised in America, that the government only really needs to be around to enforce the laws, right? So that people aren't, you know, because you can't have absolute freedom, that would be anarchy. And obviously, your society would fall apart. Um, We're a constitutional republic. And I think that the government needs to be there to enforce the laws, make sure that people aren't taking each other's stuff and killing each other, for one thing, and be there to take care of the elderly, the mentally ill and the sick. And that's it, everything else the people can handle, I I really think that that's the only reason our government should exist for just those two purposes. The rest will take care of itself. If we truly want to reap the benefits of a free market capitalist society and not harbor so much about collectivist group think that's, that's what I think. And I think that that is what the founders intended as far as what in their day and age they were classical liberals. But that is the purest form of, of conservatism because it's just like, well, we're just here to make sure you guys don't go off the rails, but we're not here to, to tax the hell out of you or have a department of education, you know, determining how, how education should be run or, or, um, uh, all these healthcare programs that just impose more strict regulations that don't foster as much room for innovation. And that, that's what I think. I think it, it needs right. to be more limited. And that's where me and a lot of, uh, you know, small government advocates would stand by. Um, yeah, I hope I hope that. Makes well, sense. certainly,
0: what you describe is a lot closer to uh, to how the country started. It is. Yeah, um, I'm
2: a constitutional conservative. That's that's what I like. If I were sure. to, I, that's what I look at, and um, I think it was right. Like, I don't really see the need to progress beyond that. I think that anything that kind of gave the government more power uh, was a regression. It was a step away. Like, it was already working. Why did we have to fix it? There were a couple of reasons, and. Not for right. any real reasons for the people, but more just because one group of Americans were fed up and didn't like the idea. you know the two biggest points in history were reconstruction and civil rights, those two areas yeah, or that it was yeah. fine, it was fine the way it was in my opinion
0: so. yeah, no, I think we could have a whole discussion about why things ran off the rails and and uh, yeah and that kind of thing but um what would you you know just looping back to your your walk away experience and and mm um, your experience in college, what would you tell, you know, I'm not so old that my daughter's getting ready to go to college, but, uh, eh, sooner than I'd like, I'll have to start worrying about that. Um, what would you tell a parent who, you know, look, a lot of parents haven't been in college for 20 years. Um, so they have no idea or, or longer. Um, what would you tell them about, sending their kids to college and what they should worry about, if anything? Or is it, would you just say, go, don't worry about it. It's just, it's crazy, but.
2: I think a bigger question here is, what are you looking to get out of college? I think uh, the option to partake in higher education is no longer necessary, but it does depend on what your child wants. Uh, I would ask them that question first. Like, what are you looking to get out of it? If it's just simply to do, to pursue something that's more, ideological that doesn't really require a higher education then i actually would advise against it i don't think you get your return on investment honestly uh being somebody who has just gone through the ringer um but that being said um if they do feel the need to want to interact with like-minded individuals which I, i think is more of an incentive for a lot of young people as opposed to what they're actually learning um then by all means encourage that but then uh also be open to fostering honest and healthy discussions with people regardless of what could happen and I, I say that with a with a grain of salt just because i know that the consequences for free speech right now is not always great but at the same time you don't want people to not be honest with themselves you know i think really it's it's been nothing but rewarding for me you know people will find their own um but it's it's all about what they want to get out of it. Like, honestly, if they're not going for something that's going to that you you like, you can't really be a doctor unless you go to school. Um, right. Then that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But if it's just, you know, something that you could utilize the best skills of of your own and do your own self-learning, I don't think it's 100 percent necessary.
0: For so it, can you can you get that interaction with like minded people at college if you're not um can you safely get like-minded and in, interact with like-minded people if you're not uh, on the on the extreme left or the authoritarian left?
2: You know what? I, I, I That's interesting that you asked that because I think that there's a bigger uh, problem here with just discussions as a whole, regardless of whether you're, you're leftist or right. I find that people just don't talk to each other very much anymore. Like I know people that just came out of the university and was like, dude, I made no friends in four years. I mean, like I had friends, but we were so isolated in some weird way and i think that has a lot to do with the inability to foster discussion for one thing and you know you could blame it on a variety of different mediums such as you know we've become very interconnected but yet very isolated as well um i'm sorry what was your question kind of just went off on
0: no just i was just asking if uh if you actually can have that experience of uh of interacting with like-minded people and finding them and talking and connecting at college. If you can even really safely have that, if you're not on the authoritarian left,
2: I think so. But I think that it, it can't be framed in a way, w- whereas it's, it's so uh, authoritative where you just alienate people. Like this is what I believe and I'm not budging whatsoever. I think it should be. But if you, about- if you,
0: so if, if, a 18 uh, year old kid goes to college in, in San Francisco or Oakland or somewhere, uh, in the U S and, uh, and they start telling people at parties like, oh, I'd really like to talk about, um, um, healthcare. And I think maybe it, sh- maybe you should have less government involvement in the healthcare system or, or yeah. I, or maybe I want to talk about, um, I'm not really so sure about this white privilege thing. Uh, will they, will they be able to find like-minded people or will they just get destroyed? I think they will. I think they will, because there's, there's
2: a okay. whole, as many like kids are bright. Like as many people are that have already subscribed to that way of thinking, there's also a ton of people who are just quiet about beliefs that are going to be uh, otherwise. Like SJWs are all over campus, but I'm happy to say that they're not a big percentage. Like, you know, if you did a real college survey of a lot of students, it's like only the, the loudest of the Seventeen percent that are SJW's, really? Like, you know, that's I, really
0: interesting. That's good to know. So they're very loud, but you don't think they're pervasive. It's not everywhere. They're very
2: loud, like, so you think that they're prominent, but they're not the majority. So you know, but they as keep result- everyone
1: else quiet. Yeah, everyone yeah. else is afraid. Like, there's a, there was a study done that said that over fifty percent of college kids are afraid to speak their mind. Yeah, that's because the orthodoxy on college campuses is SJW. But but. It is encouraging to think that that's just because they're the loudest. Just like the fact that they run, they run the media, they run entertainment, they run academia. Mm-hmm. Um, it it doesn't necessarily mean that they make up most of the left. It's just that they are very loud and they have great influence and they steer real, where things are going. Right. And they keep other people quiet. How do we yeah. fix
0: that, guys?
2: Um. Hey, man. Let me help you out. You need a ride to school? All right. Let's talk oh, you feel differently? Well, it shouldn't matter. We're friends, aren't we? That's how we do it. Not by shoving my beliefs down your throat. Mm-hmm. Just be a friend to somebody first. Even if they're a purple-haired feminist, I'm sure she's going through something weird. But like, if you're a friend to that person first, like, I would like to think that if they are not so far gone, they will be willing to have a discussion with you. And I think that we can follow that example from people who take a little bit more of a diplomatic approach but you know that's the thing in college is like meet people just be friendly but don't don't go into it like i have to be right all the time i have to these are my beliefs and none others so yeah
0: yeah so that's good advice that's good advice and maybe uh if if it turns out that that person uh rejects your friendship just because of that well then you've identified uh they're part of that small group of people who are crazy sjw's in their lost cause but there's a you're saying there's a vast majority of people who We'll be totally fine to have that discussion. Yes. Well, that's encouraging, Zach. <laughs> uh, well,
2: I'm. Yeah, that's that's all I can say. I mean, I'm also a very optimistic person, so it's you know, I'd, I'd like to think that people are are nice.
0: <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I we're we I don't know if you have to go. We're rounding out. Uh, we're getting a at the end of the hour here. By the way, to anyone who is starting to join, sorry, we we went an hour earlier t- early today because we we screwed up our times, um, and uh, and as scheduling conflict, so ended up uh, going live early. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. Do you have to go, or can we keep going? Because I don't want to keep you. I, I don't want to be rude. I, I know I you have, have an appointment. To,
2: I do have to go. I have a call I have to take. Um, but. All right. This has been thoroughly productive and thank you for having me on here, Carter and Carrie.
0: Thanks for coming on. Thanks Zach. for coming on Zach. Really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we'll, let's we'll have to have dialogue. you back. I it really was a lot of fun. It.
2: Yeah. Let's, let's, let's continue this dialogue. Uh, you have my contact information, so feel free to reach out yeah. at any point and we'll talk soon.
0: All right. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Thanks guys. Thank you. Later. Thanks, Carrie. So Carrie, um, We've got Carrie left. Oh, well, I was going to say we've got a couple people coming in. Yes, Jason, you missed it. So Laura and Jason just joined. We had to go, uh, we had to go live early because there was a scheduling issue. So, um, sorry about that. Um, anyway, thank you all for watching. And, uh, if you're just joining now, you can rewind and watch it. Um, but uh, you can follow us at um, Twitter at Unsafe Space Co. You can go to unsafespace.co, not .com, but .co. The M stands for Marxism, so we don't have any of that here. And um, where else? YouTube.com slash unsafe space. Um, oh, there's Carrie. Sorry. Back. <laughs> I, was, I, I was wrapping up the show because I was like, well, Carrie abandoned me. So I'm I hit, the show. I hit the wrong far. button. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie's back. Forget everything I said. You can still like and follow the show, uh, but you don't have to stop now. Um, yeah, Art. So, uh, so for people who are just joining, uh, we we went an hour early. Apologize uh, for that, but we had a scheduling conflict at the last minute that was discovered, and so our guest um, our guest had to go an hour early, and we chose to just do that instead of uh, instead of uh, I don't know. Sorry, talking without. Email. Oh, Siri has you something to listen- say. <laughs> 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 I'm not listening to the music app, Siri. Uh, so that was a good discussion, Carrie. Um, do you have anything to add about um the the walk away movement on campus? I didn't realize that 50% of the, the kids didn't um feel like they could express their they're afraid to express their viewpoints. Um, um
1: yeah, I'll put the link in the comment section. I'll I'll find it. It was a it was a study I read about, yeah, over half of college kids said self reported said that they are afraid of stating their opinions. And then, so you have to assume a lot of those are liberals because most college kids are liberals. So there's a lot of liberals who are afraid of speaking. I also, uh,
0: wasn't there something that was like a third of the kids, uh, didn't really believe in free speech anymore or something like that. There was, uh, some study related to that as well. So, um,
1: I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's, it's getting pretty crazy. So Carrie, the reason I wanted to kind of do a, a final ending thing, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about Jesse, um, So Uh,
1: I would, uh, if you want to,
0: we could do it another time if, if we don't need to. So, um,
1: uh, but, uh, I tried while we were on, I scheduled a doctor's appointment since we went early. So I do have to go.
0: (laughs) All right. That's fine. (laughs) So this was just like a really bad ending to a show, Ah. (laughs) but Carrie got to, why don't you give an ending, Carrie? Why don't you do the sign off and say goodbye that you can can be your job today.
1: Thanks for joining us guys. We'll see you later. (laughs)
0: that was very well done bye everyone